It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. And you're very welcome along to Thursday afternoon's Late Lunch with myself, Joan Larkin, sitting in for Jerry again today. Loads to chat about as usual and a great competition too for fans of Brian Kennedy. A chance to win tickets to see him in concert later this month and also some very interesting people to meet as well. So let's get the show on the road, as they say. Don't forget you can text us or WhatsApp us to 086-1800-658. Now, it's the time of year to be jolly, especially when you've got kids and little ones in the house. But Christmas can be a very difficult time for many kids, especially those with autism and also for their parents. So for the next while, we're going to be talking to some mums about their Christmas experiences with their kids who have autism and get some tips about what it's like living with these children and what you can do to help them through this time. So I have sitting in front of me in studio here, I have Joanne and on the phone, I hope I have Trish and I may have Carol. I know I definitely have Trish. Are you there, Trish? I am, yeah. Lovely to talk to you, Trish. And I'm talking to Joanne in studio. How are you, Joanne? Hi, I'm good. Thanks, Joan. Good. So um, let's just talk about the children, first of all. And Joanne, you're sitting in front of me. So your little man is Adam and he's three and a half. Can we start to talk about Adam and when you first noticed there was something amiss? Sure, yeah. So um, Adam was... um, he was about, I think, maybe 18 months when we started to kind of um, notice things were a bit different with Adam. Um, he did have some words, but they kind of started to go. The words started to go. Um, but as well as that, he had limited eye contact. His eye contact wasn't great. He had delayed play skills. Mm. Um, he also had, he didn't respond consistently to sound. Um, or his name being called and things like he wouldn't point to things or it didn't wave and things like that. Okay, when you we say noticed. respond to sound, how do you yeah. mean? Do you mean just calling his name or anything, a car horn or anything, doorbell? Um, yeah, no, it could be trying to get his attention. I remember at one point um, we really thought there was something wrong with his hearing. So my husband was standing behind him and he was banging pots to see would he respond and he didn't. OK, so then um, you thought perhaps he might be deaf or... We did. Yeah. So then we like we started with his hearing and um, mm. we brought him to get his hearing checked Um Various different hearing tests, to be honest, because he again, he wasn't responding and they couldn't get um, a proper reading. Um, But we were told when we brought him to a hearing, an audiologist, that he was displaying signs of someone with autism spectrum disorder. Okay, and that was the first you heard of that, was it that Um, you thought or did you think something yourself? We we kind of um, had our suspicions, but what kind of true us was he loved hugs. Um, You know, and he was very kind of a good natured, very calm and just we didn't know that much about autism spectrum disorder. So it did kind of throw us. We kind of we really didn't know. So and Trish, if I can bring you in here, Trish, you're there, are you? I am, yeah. Trish, how are you? Trish Flood. Trish, you have two two boys, Harry and Gavin, 14 and 11. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Was it a similar story for yourself, the same as Joanne, when you when you noticed there was something amiss with the boys? Um, well, with Harry, he was diagnosed the week before he turned four. And to be honest, I didn't actually realise for so long, because he was my first child and everything, I didn't realise that what was the, you know, the behaviour he was displaying wasn't usual. Um, so I kind of had a light bulb mo- moment one day, just 
almost out of the blue, where he, he used to stand in front of the TV and jump up and down and make, you know, strange noises. And I it just I just said, this can't be right. So um, we started uh, with the public health nurse and then we got referred to Enable Ireland and he was diagnosed. Um, so by the time he was diagnosed, we kind of knew there wasn't really anything else that it could be. Mm. Um, and then with Gavin, it was, you know, as soon as he started walking around about 14 months, he started displaying the little signs. And so he was diagnosed much earlier, two and a half, because we knew what we were looking at. Were they the very same signs that Harry had displayed? Um, well, no, they're they're quite different, the two of them. Um, Harry also has intellectual disability, whereas Gavin doesn't. Okay. Um, but it would be the, you know, the stereotypical, you know, uh, speech patterns and obsessions with strange things. Mm. Um, so we kind of, where the, the the basics of it are the same, they're both very different, but they have the same diagnosis, more or less. So you're a little further down the line because your lads are 14 and 11 now and Joanne's little man is just three and a half. So, yeah. I, I mean, have things changed, Trish? I mean, have things cha- have things gotten better for children with autism, do you think? I would certainly say they have. Um, I think our generation, well, my own kids, were kind of the first generation to get um, some kind of intervention when they were very young. Um, and certainly from, from what I've seen, especially with Harry, Harry um, would have lost speech as well between, say, two and a half and three and a half. Mm. And he's come on so well. He's, you know, he's been able to do so many things that we didn't think he'd be able to do because he's had, um, you know, obviously we've put a lot of work in and so have all the people around us, the professionals that help us. Yeah. So certainly for us, you know, I, we have seen a great improvement. Now, that's you don't compare them to the average child because... Yeah, you know that that's not mm-hmm. happening. But mm-hmm. um, for them, they're you know they're both doing very well. Well, I have another mum on the line now. We were trying to get all three of you together, but Carol Lennon, you're on the line now, are you, Carol? Hiya, hiya, Carol. Now you have four children on I the do. on the autistic spectrum. Um, so you have Tristan, who's seventeen, is that right? Logan, sixteen. Tegan, thirteen, and Zylan's twelve. Is that right? Yes, so it's all fun and games here. I'd say your house is a busy one. It is, but it's it's changing. I mean, listening to the other ladies, as the children get older, there needs there needs change. So of course, you know, yeah. when when they're young children, supervision is huge. Now, for one of mine, supervision is still huge, and I can never envisage a time when it won't be because mm. the activities that she gets up to when unsupervised is just beyond beyond thought whereas the other one like my oldest one now is partaking in walk experience okay and we're in Mornington and he his walk experience is in Black Rock oh okay so he's a bit of a yeah okay there's a substantial amount of walk that has to be put in yeah. in order for him to get there yeah and it's walking he's on week I think today might be his last today is his last day is it and, and how's he doing did he enjoy it he's loving it now previous to that he walked in a chemist on Friday for his walk experience and again that was fantastic but he really wants to do genetic science and the laboratory in Black Rock had said they would allow him to do genetic science in the laboratory so that's wow. what he's doing wow <laughs> Wow. So th- this is actually for Joanne sitting here, whose little fella is just three and a half and was only diagnosed last year. Joanne, how does it make you feel when you see these children out there and they're, they're doing really, really well? It's great. It's really positive. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's brilliant to see and it's brilliant to hear this. Can I talk to all three of you a little bit and whoever wants to jump in, jump in. But we're coming up to Christmas now, three weeks barely to go. What is it like for parents of children with autism at Christmas? Is, is it, would you say, a challenge? Well, for mine, we don't, we, we can't get excited just yet. So we can't do advent calendars and we don't have decorations up. Okay. And we, we are really mindful of the amount of anxiety that it elicits in a child, my children with autism, because they don't like to think we have to lock the sitting room door so that when Santa comes in, he won't wander up the stairs by accident or anything, or they won't bump into him in the hallway or you know, because they've never met the original Santi, yeah. they don't know what to expect. Yeah, of so, course. Yeah. I mean, I know of friends whose children will not have Santi in their house whatsoever. 
and he's given a list and told to leave it on the deck and out the back. He <laughs> <laughs> won't have them in the house. And these are these are real fears. You know, mm-hmm. these are it's it's not like you can say, Oh no, he's a lovely man as you would to a typical child, as I was told as a typical child. It, that doesn't cut the mustard, you know. Is it the same with you, Trish, with your boys? It is, yeah. I mean, you have to think of it logically. Um, so there's this big man wearing a bright red suit with a beard who's mm-hmm. shouting, ho, ho, ho. It's complete sensory overload. And they're very anxious. Mine as well about the thought of someone coming into the house. Yeah. So like that, we have to, we've no decorations up yet. And we, you know, we try to keep a lid on things as long as we can. Yeah, of The course. anxiety gets so severe that the behaviour starts to go um, astray and the sleep starts to go as well. So by the time you get there, everyone's exhausted. Of course. And Joanne, Adam's only three and a half. And of course, you have little Isabella, who's six as well. So how are you going to manage this year? Adam just being diagnosed barely a year and you having a six year old in the house as well. <sighs> how are you going to cope with, say, putting up your tree and stuff like that? Well, um, for Adam, like things like noises, when he's in enclosed spaces, noises are difficult for him. Um, and being around unfamiliar people. Mm-hmm. So whereas with Isabella, she loves um, the whole magic of Christmas and everything that comes with it. So for us, it's a lot of preparation and planning. Um, when we are out and about, obviously Christmas is more busier. Um, so things like going to places where they're quieter, we know we're going to be quieter, that we can kind of spend time together as a family um, is really important. Just making sure we're prepared and um, a lot of planning will go into it as well. And you've noticed this year some of the shopping centres are doing quiet days. Have you seen that, Trish? Uh, Have you seen that yet? Um, That some of the shopping centres and even the cinemas are showing some of the movies um, for autistic children so that the lights would be left on, the sound is a little bit dim and, you know, a quieter time with Santi. That's surely a great step forward forward isn't it? Absolutely I mean when Harry was first diagnosed he was terrified of Santa we couldn't even envisage going to visit Santa Um, and we were very lucky a lady named Claire White uh, who does a lot for autism um, I explained you know obviously all the sensory things come in the sounds too loud it's too bright and I asked her if she could arrange for a sensory Santa because I'd read about them in America, but we ha- we didn't have one here at that stage. Mm. So she contacted Santa and he sent someone, um, you know, one of his helpers. And Claire organised it all. So our boys got to do their first uh, Santa visit. And uh, there was no bright lights or music or anything. It was all very calm. And Santa was just sitting in the chair. And the boys came in and, they, you know, they had an allocated time. So they didn't have to queue up. And it was brilliant. We were able to get our first photo with Santa and it just meant the world to us. Of course. And now, uh, now there's loads of sensory Santa. There's actually one in Navin um, Shopping Centre this next two weekends. Yes, and I saw the um, Arc Cinema in Navin as well are showing Frozen yeah. 2 um, in a special yeah, screening for the autistic uh, children. Well, listen, we're going to talk a lot more about it. I have to go to a break for a moment and um, we're going to come back and talk more about what it's like living with autistic ch- children at uh, this time of the year. We're back and we're speaking with three mums of autistic children. We're speaking to Trish Flood and Carol Lennon who are on the phone line and Joanne Curran who's sitting here in studio with me. If I can come back to you, Carol, for a minute. Um, Christmas is coming, of course, and it's always a busy time in everybody's house with the family visiting and all of that and the noise and all the relations landing on you. How do the children react at this time of year or how do you manage Christmas Day? Well, we used to participate in the whole family thing where we visited all the grannies and all the aunties and went for dinner in other people's houses. But the kids, my kids didn't have the freedom that they needed to move to quiet spaces. So about six years ago, it was down too much for all of us. The stress that it brought about was terrible. And so I put my foot down and I said, now in future, we'll be at home and we'll have a quiet day on Christmas Day and we let them have that day because of all the new toys and all the excitement that comes to a head that day. So I said, we need the freedom for them to have the space to just invite the day and have us. And then we'd celebrate in Stevens's Day more so. So we would just have the seven of us here yeah. on Christmas Day. We pop down to one granny after mass for a cup of coffee, and then we go to the other granny after dinner for a cup of coffee, and then we're home. But it means that when people come to our house then Stephen's Day, so my sisters and that come Stephen's Day with their families, my children can go to their room. 
So, so they have a quiet place yeah, to escape so, to. And on the 28th, I usually have friends and their children over who'd also have autism. And when their kids are in my house, they can go to the room either. And know? is it the same with you, Trish, in your house? Have you rules for Christmas? Yeah, ours would be very low key. I mean, um, you have to remember sometimes there's no sleep at all on Christmas Eve because the um, anxiety has just gone through the roof. So it's pyjama day, basically. Come down, find the presents, and it's just nobody visits or anything. It's just our day. Everyone just relaxes. We have the dinner whenever we want it. The boys have what they usually have for dinner. They, you know, um, food is a big issue for for some people with autism as well. So mine would only eat certain foods. So, you know, we just go with the flow and it's the best way to do it because then everybody can enjoy it. I was going to say that to you about food. Food is probably an issue there. And there's no point in cooking a big Christmas dinner if the kids just point blank don't want to eat it and they want their usual stuff. It's not, there's no way like you, it's, people honestly don't understand this, but it's a big part of autism because it's sensory, it involves smell, touch, taste. So um, they have a very limited diet of kind of beige foods, we call them, and with soft foods. Yeah. And there's no point trying to, you know, have a full scale row about it. It just doesn't work. And you're only going to make everybody miserable so they have yeah. what they have and, and they're happy, happy. Yeah. and are you finding that Joanne with Adam now is, is food an issue with Adam or will he eat anything for you um, he's actually quite good at food at the moment but we did go through a stage where he wasn't all he would eat was birds eye potato waffles <laughs> and um, we went on our holidays to Spain and I was really worried because I knew we probably wouldn't be able to get them over there but um, kind of we did find alternatives for him um, mm. And he is okay now with food. It's a very kind of sensory experience for him. He likes to touch it, um, a lot of touch, um, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we're lucky enough um, so far. So far, so good. And for Christmas dinner, what are you planning with Um, with Adam this year? We're going to go to my mum's. um, Isabella, my daughter, she just loves seeing the relations, all that side of things. It means a lot to her. So, um, what we plan to do is bring Adam there. Uh, Most likely, we'll probably bring him out for a walk beforehand to try to get him as calm as possible and we've kind of planned it so we'll take turns bringing Adam out if the noises may get to him or he may get you know sensory overload that sort of thing And is Christmas, um, Carol maybe you can answer this, is Christmas probably the most difficult time of the year for children for children with autism? Well in in our house anything that involves a break up a change in routine so this is the thing, like in school, coming up to summer is difficult. Coming up to Easter is difficult. August coming into September, that's difficult. But Christmas is a time where the expectations are so much higher for everyone to be really happy. You know, happy Christmas. There's, you mm. won't find a card that says, miserable Christmas, no. but it gets better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that doesn't happen. And no. so the expectation upon the kids is to be happy. And... Do you know when people give them presents, like this was a terrible thing for us when we were uh, bringing them up as younger kids. And if anyone gave Tristan a present, well, if that wasn't what he wanted, then that wasn't what he wanted. You well, know? And he, yeah. didn't, uh, he, had, he didn't have the social skills yeah. required to just smile and say thank you. So yeah. he'd hand it back and he'd say, you can give that to somebody else. <laughs> I didn't want that. And I mean, yeah. Island got a bike off Santi one year and he didn't ask for it. That was a surprise. And he shouted up the chimney, you can come and take that back, I'll leave it in the garden. <laughs> That's not what he asked for. That was yeah. hopeless to what he asked for. Yeah, yeah. We had Tegan went to see Santi. And it was, well, we don't go to Santi's anymore. We go to the one in earnest that doesn't give them a present, just takes the picture. Right. Because then we don't have to explain any details. We went to a Santi and he gave her a box of Barbie dolls or something. Do you know, because yeah. that's what you do. And she said... No, I asked for a Nintendo Switch or whatever it might have been she asked for that year. Yeah. And then we had to explain to her, but she didn't get it. So I thought, right, well, she's not getting this and neither is the others. And I'm partaking in a pointless 
traditional exercise. Yeah. So we kind of ruled out all the pointless <laughs> all that all that nonsense that the kids yeah. yeah yeah and they tell it straight isn't it refreshing when a child says something well, it like is, that but it's not very refreshing if you're the granny that's have to go yeah. to the it I know I was just going to say what what what's the reaction from people? I know the families understand, of course, but you know you're out in a shopping centre, you've got the kids with you, yeah. and it's very loud and it's very noisy, and a child has a meltdown, and people are standing judging you. What do you think? What do you say? It's horrific. Well, I mean, at this stage, we have a service dog, so when people see it with a service dog, they kind of get the picture then. But people have no manners, you know. So mm. when my children are in shopping centres. If people push up against them, my children are likely to push back. Now, that's fine if you're in your 20s and you don't mind a nudge from a six foot five young fella. Mm. But if you're in your 60s and 70s, and in honesty, they seem to be the ones that do the most push. And when we come to checkouts, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. And they're looking at this. result, we do all our shopping now online. Oh. We don't actually go and... Now, my husband loves the tradition of the Christmas markets and stuff. But yeah. Like, no, oh, that must be a nightmare. Yeah. No, you bring them with you and I'll stay at home and be ready with the plasters for anyone. <laughs> Trish, is it the same for you? Do you find, what do you find in, in shopping centres and busy places like that with the kids? Yeah, like that, it's it's very difficult. Um, you know, someone will say Harry wouldn't really have an awareness of other people around him. He has an idea of where he wants to go and that's it. So I'm constantly having to remind him, you know, to be careful not to bump into people and to, you know, watch where he's going and all that sort of mm. thing. We have a dog as well, and I find she does help a lot during the year, but when it's really busy, people literally step over. I mean, that Gavin is attached to her, and she's in the middle, and people are just so focused on where they're going, they don't even look. And then, like, um, you know, if, you get, if the child does get overwhelmed and have a meltdown... You know, I've been in a situation where you have like a mini audience just standing around looking and, you know, it's just, it's so easy just to blame the parents. Oh, you're a bad parent. That's why your child is kicking off when you haven't a clue what you're talking about. That's unbelievable when you think the child is there attached to an assistance dog. Yeah. And people would step over the dog and just push. Yeah, literally just keep going where they're going. And so it gets very stressful. Joanne, I hope uh, this isn't frightening you too much sitting no, up with me when you just have a newly diagnosed no, little boy. No, we, with Adam, sometimes um, noises and things like that do get very overwhelming for him and he gets quite upset and mm-hmm. we need to take him out of the situation or um, often that's the only thing that will calm him down is get him away, get him outside, get him to calm. So Yeah. yeah. Well, you have to do what you have to do to, to give the kids a happy Christmas, don't you? Yeah. And I mean, you're all doing fantastic work, all three of you guys. I'm afraid we're, we've run out of time, unbelievably. So I've got to say goodbye to Trish Flood, Carolyn and, and Joanne Curran. And thank, thank you very you. much for coming into studio and a very, very happy Christmas to you and all the kids. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Pre-book your new car for the new year and we'll hold all prices. Now you're welcome back to The Late Lunch and my next guest's voice will be instantly recognisable to you as he's been a radio presenter, DJ, radio personality for over 30 years and an old colleague of my own. I'm delighted to welcome into studio Jerry Stevens. How are you, Jerry? Joan, it's lovely to talk to you. Oh, to hear that voice the minute <laughs> he talks into the microphone. But Jerry, I have to tell everybody, today marks your very first day back on the radio in over two years because in November 2017, you suffered a shocking event out of nowhere, a stroke. And so for that reason, we're also joined in studio by Dr. Neve Rowe, a cognitive expert in dealing with brain injury and stroke. Neve, you're very welcome as well. Thank you very much. Just pull in a little closer to the microphone okay. there, Neve. Thank you very, very much. Jerry, it's wonderful to hear your voice back through the, the medium yes, of radio. Again. It's 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 very strange for me. I, I haven't sat in a, in a radio studio in almost two years. And the voice is so instantly recognisable. Um, hopefully. That is, believe me. But Jerry, let's go back. Can you take us back to that day? What were you doing? Where were you when this happened? Um, it was November 2017 and um, I had been down to uh, Nace Hospital to see my mother-in-law. She wasn't well. Myself and I and my partner went down to see her. We got home. Um, we were just chilling out. We had our tea, watching TV, and I didn't feel very well. 
I didn't have an event um, as in like I suddenly stopped breathing or keeled over or something like that. I just genuinely didn't feel very well. Um, so I... Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, but uh, my tongue felt huge, mm. very, very large indeed, and I felt I was chewing my tongue, mm. and I, I didn't. I, it, I wasn't exactly sure what was going on. I felt very hot in my back, and um, I was breathing okay, but I just felt nauseous and not not well at all it wasn't a big event you know if you say to somebody he's had a stroke oh my god you know yeah you but expect it, something no, like a bang it, it collapse wasn't, it yeah. wasn't like that at all yeah um and i turned to Anne, my partner and said i don't feel very well only that's not what i said i said i don't feel very well and i just realized that my tongue was huge and she looked at me and she could instantly see my left side had dropped oh. and um she went gray and I think she realised what was going on, but the stroke certainly wasn't anything I was thinking of at that time. And what did you think? Had I just I, I I knew I was seriously ill. I didn't think this was something that an, a, you know a couple of anadol, a panadol were going to, was going yeah. to fix. You know. So you knew it was um, something serious. I yeah. I have to be honest. I did know it was something serious because um, I didn't realise my left side didn't work at the time. Yeah. But I did realise that I had a very strange sensation. Um, and the fact that I've always been able to speak, I make a living, well, I used to make a living out of it. So yeah. I wasn't controlling my voice. My tongue was very, very, very tight and, and the muscle didn't seem to be hearing me. Hmm. Um, and then I could realise I had pins and needles in my hand. Um, and I would say within about 10 minutes, I definitely knew I was in trouble because my left arm, hand... Um, and legs stopped working. They didn't hear me anymore. But did you try to get up out of the I chair? I did, and I fell over. I okay. fell, actually, I fell on Anne. I, I hurt her foot. But <laughs> like a typical Irish male, I said, I'll be grand. Of course, yeah. I'm fine. Don't call an ambulance. I'll be up. Give me a minute. You know, let just let me settle for a minute. Let me realise in my own head what's going on here. This this is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. Uh, this wave of nauseousness. Mm. Um, but... Uh, it 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 didn't you know it didn't get any better, and Anne rang my best friend and said, "You better get over here. I don't know how to deal with this. I think he's had a stroke." And so my best friend uh, Johnny Bulger from Ardcath came over, and he said, "Look, you know, <laughs> I can't fix you. Anne can't fix you. We're going to have to call an call ambulance." An ambulance, yeah. He said, "I think you've had a stroke," and we uh, we need to get you. You need to get a shot in the arm, or we need we need people who know what they're at to, to have a look at you. Exactly. And can I bring in that such a person here, Neve? if I can bring you in here? Jerry wouldn't be typically in what we would consider the age group likely to have a stroke, would mm-hmm. he? Is it becoming more common that younger people... Unfortunately, it's becoming more common that we're seeing stroke in the younger age group now. Years ago, it used to be associated with the elderly, where now we're seeing people, very young teens, mid to, uh, mid-twenties and upwards who are experiencing a stroke. So it is the demographics, the, the population itself is becoming younger. That's very, very scary, isn't it? When you think about it, Jerry. what do you mind me asking? What I was, age you? I was only 50, which, you Just know, I'd 50. like to think I have a few more years left in me. Gosh, uh, yeah. 50 is, is young, but there are younger now yeah. as well. I think stress and lifestyle choices and diet mm. um, has changed things. When I was growing up, a stroke was something your granny had. Yeah. It was a sign Definitely. of high mileage and old age. But that is completely gone now. And, you know, I was four months in hospital and the people that I met, uh, and that I have come across who who have had strokes are you know typically un- under fifty or some of them are even under forty and it's it's a common occurrence. There are ten thousand stroke cases in in Ireland every year. Two thousand people of those strokes die. That is a terrifying fact, isn't it, Dr. Rowe? I mean, what do you see in your line of work? It must have changed over the years, the the people who are coming in now presenting with stroke. I I would see now, I'm in the neurorehabilitative side of things for over 17 years and I'd be seeing, I'm 
currently seeing an awful lot in their 20s and 30s who are presenting with um, stroke effects. So definitely the age um, brackets and the lifestyle of the individuals is coming into a factor now. You think high stress, high stress lifestyle has a lot to do with I, it I in your opinion? I think what I can, um, upon reflection of the people I have worked with, um, a lot of the individuals who were, were experienced their stroke at a young age had quite stressful lifestyles. They were quite high powered jobs, quite fast moving mm. um, and they were trying to cram everything in um, and the body unfortunately um, was affected by that high level of stress. Jerry, you're nodding there. Would this have described you? Um, I'm not. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I had a. I was very busy. I had a. You know, I was. I was working on Q102 in mm. Dublin, and I had a small business. I was tour managing and driving different bands around mm-hmm. at the time. Um, the band I was looking after um, at that time were away in Japan touring, so I was kind of off. So I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have thought I was particularly busy you know mm-hmm. um but uh, i suppose i've always been active always been doing juggling a couple of different things you know at, at one time but i i mean i'm not sure that stress caused mine i didn't have a clot i had a hem- i had a brain hemorrhage mm-hmm. so rather than a clot stopping the blood uh, getting to my brain the oxygen obviously if the blood doesn't get to your brain the oxygen doesn't get there yeah. um i had a i had a bleed so I had a, a brain hemorrhage cause my stroke as opposed to a, a, a typical stroke is a clot. Yeah. Over 85% uh, of strokes are clots. Mine was the other side of the coin. It was a bleed. So it was a hemorrhagic a, a hemorrhage. And did this, you didn't, I mean, the day before this happened to you, you were perfectly normal. I was yeah. 100%. I didn't have any warning signs at all. Sometimes people I have heard, obviously I've looked into this a lot, particularly with a show I've been putting together, um, as to you sometimes get a, a, a side swipe or a warning from your body. It's called a yeah. TIA, yeah. which is like a local or a smaller clot. And that's usually your body telling you, you know, things aren't so good here. You need to you need to get me checked out, yeah. you know. Um, but I didn't have anything like that. It just, you know, it just happened and, and that was it. Um, that that even makes it more terrifying, doesn't it, Neve? I mean, this is just for people out there, you know, going about your daily business and you're you're stressed and and I, I think Irish people particularly seem to wear stress like a badge of honour. You ask them how they're, oh, I'm top of my head. Oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm never going to get everything done. And but they and never admit to. Yeah, I think tired. it's part of our culture. To be honest, I think mm. it's I think it's how we've always done things and we always, you know, bump and scrape along, you know. Mm. Um, and then something like this comes along, Jerry, and oh, it floors. Let me tell you, when that happened to me, I knew the night, the first night I was in the Lourdes, um, I have now been taken off the roundabout, the the merry-go-round. For the next while, I am no longer in control of what's going on. Mm. And that is the scariest thing. And let me tell you, people who think, no, I need to do this, I need to do that, you don't. Because if... If a stroke happens to you, and one in five of us in Ireland will have a stroke at some stage, one in five, just think about that. That's an awful lot of people mm-hmm. will have some will have a brush with stroke yeah. at one one stage or another in their life. Um, I basically everything stopped. All of a sudden, I used to make my living from my voice or going touring with bands. I couldn't drive. I couldn't get around. I couldn't talk. Yeah. I lost my power completely on my left-hand side and m- when I spoke, I sounded angry or drunk or both. So for somebody who'd made a living with his voice, it was this the must have been terrifying. Time. It was the scariest time ever and only for the support of my friends and the amazing people in the Lord's uh, Hospital in Drada uh, with the physio and speech therapy and then I ended up going up to the county hospital in Dundalk as well I was almost three months there uh, learning to walk again and learning to talk again so the things we take for granted can very quickly be taken away from us And when you were lying there in that hospital bed um, were you aware of your surroundings? Were you aware yes, of what had happened? Yes, un- unfortunately I was. Um, so I have to say all the time I was always the same person in my head. Mm. It's just what was coming out of me and the, um, the, the the stories I would try and portray or get my point across wasn't always coming coming out the best way possible, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't need, mean to sound angry, but I think, you know, you're so frustrated about getting your point across. You have to understand, when, when I was in hospital, I, the only way I was getting out of bed was with a hoist. Yeah. And the only way I was getting around was in a wheelchair. 
So your dignity, your self-esteem, everything disappears very quickly. So you have a low opinion of yourself, even though people are very good to you. And, you know, I can't say uh, 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 how, how great they were, but still, it's down to you as well. And you don't feel so good about yourself. Absolutely. You know? well, and particularly when the future doesn't look so good. So, yeah. you, you know, you, 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 you try and deal with reality as well, you know. Of course, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more about this and your road to recovery and, of course, the, the new project that you're working on. Welcome. Back to late lunch, where we're chatting with radio personality Jerry Stevens, who unfortunately had a stroke two years ago, but is well on the road to recovery. And Dr. Dr. Neve Rose also in studio here with us. Jerry, if we can come back to you for a second, you're on the road to recovery. It yes. wasn't easy. It's been two years, yeah. but you have high praise for a lot of the staff who treated you. Oh, all I here do in indeed. The you know, I have to say the the hyperacute stroke ward in the Lords is one of the best in the country. And they really have an amazing team. Um, also, I went to um, the county hospital in Dundalk and I met uh, Sankar, who is an amazing physio guy. And if anybody was going to help me to walk, everyone was telling me, we need to get you to Dundalk. Sankar will fix you. And mm. the man did. He, he ha- I walked out of there. Maybe not, not great, but I had my balance. I was staying up yeah. and I had great confidence leaving, considering I went in a, a wheelchair taxi to, you know, nearly yeah. three months before I, I went up there. And you walked out. So I did. Um, I think uh, the, the one thing that people said to me, if you fix your mind, your body will follow. And I do think there is an ounce of truth in that. If you take the right attitude, you know, um, you can handle the bad days as well as the good days that you do make progress because you don't make progress every day and sometimes particularly with stroke you get high tone in your body something you can do on a Monday you may not be able to do it on a Wednesday or a Thursday because your body is is very stiff and mm. you know your your muscles are out of t- the, the tone owns you you mm-hmm. know but as long as you keep pushing uh, you will you will get there and your mind is the strongest the strongest medicine to be honest with you and I'm not a particularly mentally strong person but I did once I saw a glimpse of signal uh, that you know hey my arm is moving my yeah. my foot is moving I still have spasms in my foot and my my hand doesn't really work very well but I'm able to get around my car is adapted I'm able to get around and I'm I'm over the moon that I can do things like that and of course you you have a big passion for the motorbikes yes you, yeah you hope I, to get back there someday yeah, well I <laughs> Mm. You know me, I, I bought a mo- Honda make an automatic motorcycle and I, I bought one. <laughs> now, Why am I not now, surprised? No. Um, <laughs> not a bit surprised. Let's see, let's see how we get on. But that's What does Anne say to that? You're uh, she's delighted because, well, we, we had a Goldwing for 10 years. We toured all yeah. over on it. So yeah. Anne's as, as motorcycle mad as I am. Yeah. Um, but that all had to go, you know. And um, uh, if I can b- come back to Neve just for a second, Neve, he's he's just really passionate about getting back to life, isn't he? Getting back out there and doing all of these things. And in the break there, we were chatting about um, the idea of, you know, of it, having a stroke mm-hmm. and the signs of having a stroke and, and, and what we can do to try to prevent it. Because as you say, so many people in Ireland are going to have a stroke. Yeah. And um, not to frighten people out there at all, of course, but there surely there must be a way of minimising minimizing the risk or lessening the risk risk somehow. Are there determining factors? Are there things that people can do to lessen their chances? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, like Jerry was saying there, the, it's one in five or one every hour um, people will actually sustain or experience a stroke. I think when we're looking about how we can address it is to really just look after yourself, to listen to your body, to eat healthy, exercise at least 30 minutes a day, mm-hmm. um, have regular checks with your with your doctor to check your cholesterol level and your blood pressure as well, and not be putting so much stress. Um, as Jerry was saying there, you need to live life, but just lo- looking and listening to your body. Also, if there's any family history of cardio or um, any kind of cholesterol or blood pressure, just to make sure you say that to your GP when you go for regular checkups. And Jerry, your blood pressure, you didn't know it was high, did you? It was undiagnosed. Diagnosed hypertension. And how high was it when you uh, went in? Oh, over, over 200. Okay. Over now, 200. Okay. Now that uh, is scary. Yeah. <laughs> that is scary. Now, when did this happen to you at home and Anne was looking at it and you were saying, no, I'll, I'll be grand, give me a minute. Yeah. Of course, there is a campaign out there, isn't there, isn't there called, called FAST? The FAST campaign. And it really works. You know, it is very simple. F-A-S-T. Face 
arm, speech and time. So tell us what people should do if they suspect the person next to them is having Well, if you see a drop in their face, mm. if they can't move both arms out and back, in other words, are they able to control both sides of their body? Is their speech slurred? And T for time, any doctor will tell you time is brain. Don't waste any time. Phone an ambulance because time particularly if you have a clot you need to think about this the blood is not getting to your brain the oxygen is not getting to your brain every minute you're losing a million brain cells every minute a million brain cells yes so time is of the essence time is brain and that's why you honestly the, the fast campaign is very simple and to the point and if you have um Uh, you know, any suspicions that it is that, you need to act as quickly as possible. Can I just mention the first responders in Dulik? I've been living in Dulik for 30 years. Um, When the call went out and we thought it was a stroke, they came to my my house and they were amazing. They had me ready and all for the ambulance when it did arrive. And first responders around the country are amazing. I think they should get more recognition than Mm -hmm. they actually do. Um, and I've met the lady who came to my house and she knew as soon as she saw me, she said, Jerry, you were fast positive. I knew that. And once they tell the ambulance that they have confirmed you are fast positive, they then know they're dealing with a stroke. They then let the hospital know. So, so the hospital prepared. are already, their bleepers are going. They now know that something is, you know, they need to get their CT scan sorted. They need to get their, their registrar ready. They need to get the injections or whatever. So when that happens, this whole system goes into operation. This whole mechanism begins. So the thing is, don't waste time. No. Don't listen no. when he slurs at you and says, no. I'll be grand in a minute. Fortunately, I was from lucky, time Jerry. of it happening 42 minutes from my door to the, to the A&E in the Lourdes. You were very lucky. And that's why there was a lot of me still left. Absolutely. And it's so wonderful to see you because Jerry and I, as I was saying to you, we worked together many years ago, but I haven't seen him for a few years, but we keep in touch on Facebook. But it's so wonderful to see you with the yes. headphones on, the microphone. <laughs> but I want to see you on this side of the desk. Yes, now, Jerry, well, very I'm working soon. on it. I'm working to, on it. Tell me a bit about this new venture, this stroke cast you were telling me about okay, yesterday. So um, what has been keeping me going, I haven't had the confidence to get back on the radio just yet. Mm-hmm, okay. um, I'm not sure I would have the uh, ability to m- watch screens and you know, yeah. everything is timed and, you know, I'm not sure I, I would be able to ju- for that just yet. Okay. Um, I was at a, 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 fr- a friend's par- birthday party and I bumped into a very good friend of mine, Al Dunn, who is, uh, owns Unique Media in Dublin. And he said, what are you doing? I said, I don't really have a lot of confidence at the moment, you know, so I'm, radio's not on my radar. He said, why don't you talk about something you know a lot about? You've lived it. And I've been doing the uh, the cognitive rehabilitation course in RD with uh, Neve here. And um, I met some very amazing people with uh, remarkable stories to tell. So I've put together uh, Stroke Stories called the Stroke Cast, um, that which is going to be released in January. Um, if people want to search Stroke Cast on Facebook, they'll find my little page there. And we've it'll be on all the platforms. It'll be on Spotify and iTunes in, and all that. In January. In January. But if you have a look at the Facebook page now, you'll actually see the link that you can click on and subscribe. And so it tells the story of uh, several different so people with different um, aspects lots to strokes. Of, yes, lots of people have done podcasts about stroke. This one, I, we've kind of taken to the, you know, to a slightly better degree. It's a full 360 degree look at someone's stroke. So they tell their story, how they get on, the program they made. I also talked to the registrar, Dr. Zul Khalil in the Lords Andrade. He tells us their story from his point of view as, as they came in. We talked to the uh, clinical nurse uh, specialist in stroke, Fiona Connington, who's a remarkable lady. And she tells us how they got on in hospital with their progress and, you know, their, how, mm-hmm. the, how they were getting on. And then at the end of it, Dr. Neve Rowe here talks about their cognitive recovery. So it's a full picture of each person that uh, we, we that we interviewed. The last one, unfortunately, will bore you. It's my story. Indeed it won't. <laughs> so uh, it's quite a long one, but um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's coming out in January. We're looking forward to launching them. But if you follow our Facebook page, you'll be able to click on and subscribe and it'll automatically, the podcast will go to you. Definitely. Hasn't he made remarkable progress? He's done Neve? amazing work and the actual project itself, it's going to be so beneficial 
beneficial to families and individuals who will experience um, well, having a loved one with a stroke. It's very it's very good for information, but yeah. it also lets people feel not isolated. It's or user I think friendly that's a key too. point, Joan, mm. because when you get out of hospital and they have done an amazing job, you're, you know, they've done their job. You're, I walked out of hospital. They have, they have done and they I was have. talking. Um, you get home. There's lots of fuss made of you at home. Mm. People are ringing you. Three months later, not so much fuss, not mm. so many calls. You begin to feel quite isolated, um, yeah. you know, so and that's when people need to keep, keep strong and to, to keep going on. And these stroke casts cover all of that and give you give you help and, and let you see that you're not on your own. Well, can I say it's wonderful to see you, Jerry? Wonderful to hear that voice. Thank and you so much. For may I wish yourself and Anne a really, really happy Christmas this year. And the same to you, Neve, and Thank your you family. Much. Thanks a million for coming in to see us. Thank you. Wonderful to see you. And soon you will be back on this side of the desk, Jerry. I hope so, I Joan. No it's doubt. been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks. Thank for you very us. much. Thank you. Bye bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Pre-book your new car for the new year and we'll hold all prices. You're very welcome back to Late Lunch. Now we have a great competition for you, the second day of this competition. The Station House Hotel in Kilmessen in County Meath welcomes the return of international singer Brian Kennedy for a Christmas concert on Monday the 23rd at 8 o'clock. Now Brian will be performing some of his best hits and also some Christmas songs to get you right into the festive spirit. Tickets and pre-dinner bookings can be had if you log on to the stationhousehotel.ie but we have a pair of tickets to give away today along with a four-course pre-show dinner. And all you have to do is answer this really simple question. Brian Kennedy represented Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest, but in what year? You can text or WhatsApp us your answers to 086-1800-658. Brian Kennedy represented Ireland in the Eurovision Song Contest, but what was the year? 086-1800-658. Now, my next guest in studio was very, very happy with her plus-size weight until she overheard guests at a wedding discussing her and discussing not just her weight, but the fact that she was snoring in the night. Anya Tuffy Gogarty, how are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. You're very welcome. Lovely to meet you. We have spoken on the phone before about a different topic, about pen friends and letter writing, but it's lovely to meet you in studio. So tell me what it's all about, Anya. What have you decided to do? You were quite happy in yourself, were you? I was. Um, I was about a size 22, maybe 24, and had come to terms with that and was quite happy and living my life and body positive and Mm. was very happy. But we went to a wedding in the UK um, last July. We were glamping and uh, the morning after the wedding, I could hear the guests who were in the tents either side of us discussing someone who was snoring and uh, oh, someone was having a great sleep last night. Could you hear the snoring? I think it was from number five and I just felt like day and I, I knew it was me. And could you not blame somebody else for it? <laughs> could you not say, oh yeah, he's desperate? I didn't I didn't admit it was me, I have to say. I just kept my head down and said nothing and didn't even look at my husband. But it was a kind of a light bulb moment for you, was it? It was. I had I knew myself I was snoring because my husband told me and um, I had started getting a bit of sleep apnea where I'd just, I'd, I'd wake up gasping for breath and um, I just, oh, I'd, I'd you know, the whole, for hours afterwards during the day, I just feel like I couldn't catch my breath. All right. And I figured, well, I knew if I went to a doctor that the first thing they would say is try and lose some weight. So I decided I was going to save myself the 50 euros and (laughs) do it myself. It's always the first thing they say, isn't it? Well, you know, you're carrying a bit of weight there now. Do you think about losing it? You know, it's not that easy though. Oh, it's not. Sure, I'm I'm 41 and I'd say I've been overweight for 30 years. Um, Would you say since you're early? Oh, definitely. Since I was about 10 or 11. Right. Um, um, and what do you think? What was it? Did you just love food? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was pretty answer. much it. I was I, I was it. an emotional eater. I ate okay. when I was happy. I ate when I was sad. I ate when I was worried. I just. But your life revolves around food, doesn't it? Really, when you think about it, everything is celebration. Everything is food. I mean, you go to a wedding, it's food. You go to a funeral, it's food. You you know, you have a kids' party, it's food. Everything, and it's so hard to eat healthily, especially coming up to Christmas. I think so. And yeah, like that, I just celebrated everything with food and chocolate and crisps were my downfall. If I was, say the kids were in bed or now that they're getting a bit bigger, they're off in their own rooms doing different things. And I would just sit on the couch and open a big sharing in inverted commas, a bag of crisps. <laughs> and I just eat the whole lot myself and maybe have a bar of chocolate then afterwards to, to cleanse my palate. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Just to get the old taste of the crisps away. You'd exactly. Have to do and that. that was most nights. So it oh, just I knew it? it wasn't good. It was, But it's just a habit. And I knew myself once you break the habit. And would your husband join in with you? 
Not usually, no. He's he's very healthy. Um, he's more conscious of what he eats. and Well, he'll eat when he's hungry, but he'll stop then. Now, he eats a serious amount, but he's very, very active. So up until that moment that someone said, my God, someone was snoring like a train last night, you were kind of sailing along, were you, thinking you were grand? Yeah, because I have no real health problems, no yeah. high blood pressure, no cholesterol, diabetes, none of those things. And you look fantastic, can I say? <laughs> Thank you. You look fantastic. So, But you decided to do something new. I did. So Um, tell us about this plan. I'm intrigued by this eight stone plan of yours. So tell me about that. I suppose of all the, I don't like saying diets, but of all the ways of eating that I've tried in the past, I knew that low carb suited me best. So I started reading a bit about that and just started one day at a time and found this diet or way of eating called the ketogenic diet I've which heard is of this keto, really really yeah. low carb it's no mm. bread rice pasta sweets potatoes fruit even I think you can have some berries but I'm not really mad into fruit anyway so that's why it suited me so what is it high protein diet not uh, it, high protein. It? it's high fat low carb and kind of moderate protein now doesn't that seem to fly in the face of losing <sighs> weight yeah doesn't a, it high fat a cup of tea you can't have well you can if you want if you work it in but milk in your tea I put <laughs> you'd be disgusted watered down cream I put in my tea instead oh. of milk <laughs> oh god right, I don't like tea anyway so I'm grand I don't drink tea or coffee but I uh, have other vices, believe me. But uh, tea and coffee are not are not some of them. So the keto diet, really. Yeah, this that's, is what it is. That's what's working for me. I just took it one day at a time, and all of a sudden, I had a week done, and I did. I had great energy. I felt so good. Um, wasn't hungry at all, which was amazing. Yeah. So I just kept going, and now that was that was September. So. And how have you done? I have so far lost two stone three, um, thirty one pounds since September. Yeah. That's amazing. It is. That's absolutely fantastic. But your goal is to lose eight stone and then be able to lift the weight that you lose. Yeah. And I saw a great quote from you, what you said about lifting. You said, well, I'm carrying it around anyway, so surely I'll be able to lift it. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds simple, doesn't it? It does sound simple. So eight stone, is that the goal? Um, At least eight stone, I would say. I think I was probably around 20 stone when I started. I actually, I didn't own a set of scales and my mother's scales in her house only went up to 19 stone. So I was kind of guessing after that, but I'm estimating that I was about 20 stone. So I'm hoping to get down to, I'll see when I get there because I know when you're building muscle, it's a bit heavier. But hopefully around 11 stone maybe. And that would so be that would be actually nine stone, yeah. Wow! And then you're hoping to lift it. So tell me how you're going about that. You've joined a gym, have you joined a gym? I have. I started off with park run, which was a great way to get out. It just the exercise, you know, people who exercise, the community spirit is wonderful. But I figured, long term, if I'm going to stick to exercise, I need to find uh, something that I enjoy. Yeah. And I know years ago I went to the gym and I loved it. So I said, right, back into the gym. I go to Gym and Re in Kingscourt. Um, and I plucked up the courage after about six weeks to tell them that I wanted to start powerlifting. I didn't even know the difference. Weightlifting and powerlifting are two different things. I didn't know. Oh, you'll have to tell me about that after. Yeah, OK. Um, so I decided that I wanted to be able to lift heavy stuff. And um, then this kind of progressed into a goal of being able to lift what I've lost is what I'm calling it. So lift the amount of weight that I have lost. That's incredible. That's a great target to have, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> isn't it? Because you're going to become, if you're doing that, you're not just losing weight, you're building muscle, you're yeah. changing your whole body shape, you're going to be t- incredibly strong. You'll yeah. be, you know, you won't need the husband to help you lift things anymore around the place. <laughs> I do enjoy that. Even now, I've, I'm able to lift the, the barbell on its own, which is 20 kilos. And even now, I'd, you know, I'd, I like surprising people by lifting things and throwing them over my shoulder like children. <laughs> Amazing. My daughter's five foot two. She's very small and she's and she's she's really, really slim. And I went to the gym with her one time. OK, and I thought, OK, I, I'd be able to do what she's doing. She was sliding these weights onto the bar, you know, and then ducking in underneath it, taking it on her shoulders, lifting it up. I tried. I couldn't even lift the pole. There was no weights on it and I was pathetic. I actually couldn't take that weight on the back of my neck at all. So, I mean, it's an incredible thing to be able to do. And of course, you're getting healthy in the course of doing this as well. You're welcome back. We're chatting here with Anya Tuffy-Gogarty, who has an amazing story to tell and an amazing plan for the rest of her life. Anya, who has admitted to being overweight since she was about 11 or 12 years of age and has started to do something about it. Anya, we were chatting there in the break how you said... Um, you weren't going to go to anywhere, any clubs or anything like that. You were going to do it yourself. And you said you got a grip on emotional eating and you did it by yourself. 
Can you tell me a bit about how you did that? I did. I, I mentioned earlier on that I, I ate when I was happy, sad, stressed, everything, any excuse to eat. Um, and I just, I was always looking for the right person to fix me. Mm. And uh, I came to a stage where a friend of mine had been talking about CBT, cognitive behavioural therapy. And um, I read up a bit about it and I thought, I loved the idea of it. It was more empowering you to help yourself. And I decided that day, I said, right, I am not going to pay any more people to fix me. I'm going to no more diet clubs. I am going to sort myself out. So uh, I found a podcast online that was uh, Quit Binge Eating, it was called, and uh, just listened through that series. And it was very helpful. He gave great tips. And I managed, it took me a couple of years now, but I managed to separate the emotions from the food and just totally separate them. But, um, so now if you get a particularly bad day or something, uh, what stops you reaching for the chocolate? I think I've, I've just managed to break the cycle now. I, I know it's not going to fix me. It might taste nice for five minutes, but it's not going to fix the problem. So I, I do a lot of journaling is what the, the Yanks call it. Yeah, um, writing everything. You're a great write writer everything anyway. down. If I'm stressed, I make lists and I do them from one to ten in priority. Um, I do, I might write, if someone has annoyed me, I might write them a letter and then mm-hmm. throw it in the fire. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I get my emotions out rather than burying them with food. Okay. And you do have a bucket list for when you get down to your ideal weight. I do. I see some things here on the bucket list. One thing that surprised me now, you want to go horse riding. I have never been on a horse. And it's fabulous. I used to do horse riding when I was younger. I wouldn't inflict myself on a poor horse now. But um, that is a wonderful thing to do. And that's on your bucket list. Yeah, I just I know it's great for core strength and just I've never been that close to an animal. Um, I've, I've always been afraid I'd hurt the horse. Oh, so this is one yeah. thing I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just it's one thing that I would love to do. It's things with my kids because they're getting a bit bigger now. They're eight 12 and 13 and they're getting a bit bigger and a bit more adventurous and I would like to be able to enjoy them while they still want to be seen with me. On your list I see bumping cars, dodgems. Funderland's coming up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Could you do one of those? That's one on your bucket list. Bumper cars. I've always been afraid of getting stuck on one. I know I did get into one a few years ago and it was a tight squeeze. Okay. Okay. I'd like to be able to run riot around the place. And what else is on your list? I think I see something here about lifting a particular a particular weight. Let me see. Let me see what I say here. Twenty k barbell you can lift now, and you want to lift sixty. That's 60K. right. That's my ultimate goal is to what I'm calling it is lift what I've lost. So I want to be able to power lift the weight that I have lost. Now tell me the difference: power lifting, weight lifting. What's the difference? Weight lifting is an Olympic sport, I believe. Um, it is. But power lifting consists of different kinds of lifts. You do. Uh, oh, can I remember these now? There's a squat, there's a deadlift, and there's a bench. Um, The bench is probably the one I'm concentrating most on at the minute, Um, while my poor little knees are recovering from all the strain I put them under. Um, So at the minute I can lift the bar on its own, which is 20 kilos. That's more than I can do, good girl. Um, It's even, it looks, it looks so light looking at it in the gym, but even the balance of it is very tough. Um, But I've been lifting that now for the last couple of weeks and hopefully I'll be able to put some little weights on it soon. And how often do you go to the gym? Uh, trying to go three to four times a week. Oh, that's but a lot with three week, kids at home as well. That's a this lot. This week I've actually been four times already. Um, my kids... Four times already and it's just Thursday. Hang on a minute. Four <laughs> times already and it's only Thursday. Sunday, okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Good girl. <laughs> it's my new mass. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. And oh my, my Actually, my sons have started to go with me. They got the bug as well. Um, the, the gym bug. The 13-year-old um, has been going now for a few months and then the 12-year-old, you have to be 12 to join in Jim and Ree in Kingscourt. So um, he couldn't wait until he was 12. So the day of his 12th birthday, that's where he went, into the gym with me. Into the gym. And he loves it too. Well, they're great habits for the kids to have for life, aren't they? I think so. You know, when we were talking during the break as well about the hazards and and the pitfalls when you are overweight. And tell me about your experience in Croke Park. Oh, I was at an All-Ireland final there a few years ago, uh, Donegal were playing and uh, I usually with an All-Ireland final you only get one ticket so I was sitting with complete strangers but there was another man beside me who was a a, a large man as well and I ended up I was just saying to you there I ended up having to sit thigh to thigh with this stranger for the whole match and it was really uncomfortable and even going in through turnstiles and stuff like that I've always been terrified of getting stuck in a turnstile it hasn't happened yet but I've been close a few times I know yeah there's so many things out there so many pitfalls aren't there when when you are overweight so you've a whole new life ahead of you I'm hoping so now I'm looking 
looking forward to all the new things I can do. All the new clothes. I mean, it didn't stop you, did it, really, when you, you, knew, you knew you were overweight and you still dress really stylishly. You're buying new clothes all the time. Whereas I know I would be one that would say, no, I'm not buying a thing now till I lose this stone. And then I end up with nothing to wear. I mean, you didn't fall into that trap. No, I decided, I think it was last summer, I got all the slim clothes as I called them they were in bags graduated from size 12 up to size 20 and I got all of them and I just gave them away I yeah. just decided there was it was baggage that I was holding on to and it was guilt every time I saw them and then I figured they've gone out of fashion anyway I, I wouldn't even wear <laughs> these or they'll come back <laughs> around at some stage <laughs> maybe they will I know. so I gave everything away so I have no slim clothes to, to get back into oh well then that's a good excuse to go out shopping isn't it or online shopping or whatever you know when you, when you do as you drop stone by stone out you go refresh the wardrobe is that the plan exactly oh it's great I'm down to I was started off size 22 24 and I'm down to probably 18 to 20 now at the minute I've, I'm wearing that a few things that are size 18 and that's been that must time. just feel wonderful. Oh, it's lovely. It's great. And you hope to be what size? What would be your ideal? Probably 12, maybe 14. OK. I probably won't go any smaller than a size 12, that's I'd imagine. Nice, that's a nice curvy, curvy yeah. way to be, isn't it? I've only ever, now years ago, the year before I got married, which is longer than I'd dare to remember, I managed to lose five and a half stone that time in a year. And I got down to ten and a half stone. Um mm. But that's that's the only time that I've ever been slim in my adult life. Yeah, and you don't want to be back there again, do you? Not that small. I probably won't, no. Yeah. But sure, we'll, we'll see how it we'll goes. We'll see how it goes, sure. Yeah. Come back to us this time next year. I will, And let surely. me see, and don't turn sideways when you come in the door because we probably won't see you. <laughs> but fair play to you. Look, it's an amazing thing to even to say, I'm going to lose eight stone and then I'm going to be able to lift that eight stone. So it just shows that you're going to get healthier, get slimmer, but you're also going to get stronger. Retrain your, yourself to have a whole new life. Anya, you're a fantastic woman and thanks a million for coming in. It's been a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed. Take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors. The 2020 Dacia sales event is now on at Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Call in to see how shockingly affordable a new Dacia is in the new year. Oh, you're very welcome back to the last few minutes of the late lunch here. And I have Dundalk man Tommy McArdle on the line all the way from Canada. How are you, Tommy? Hello, how's it going? Good morning, did we wake you up? No, no, I'm up and at it. I'm an early man. What time is it over there in Vancouver? It's currently uh, 20 past 7. Oh, that's not too bad. That's uh, The streets are well aired. You're well up at this stage. Tommy, oh, yeah. <laughs> I believe you need our help and you're going to tell me all about this Arctic challenge that you're hoping to take part in. I do. I need I need help to get to the to Sweden to travel 300 kilometres across the Arctic wilderness. Now, why would you want to do that? <laughs> uh, I've, like, I've always been big into my outdoors and uh, this is kind of like an adventure of a lifetime that I have a chance to go on. And uh, it's not every day like something like this comes along. So uh, I'm trying my hardest to get as many votes as I can to make sure I get a place. So you've got to come from Canada over to Sweden. First of all, can I ask you what you're doing in Canada? Uh, I just come over to work, to work and live, just to check it out. Just take a bit of a break from, from the home life and see what's out there. And how long are you over there? I've been here a year and a half now. Oh, just a year and a half. What do you think of it? Vancouver's beautiful. It's cool, yeah. I love it. It's like got good aspects of a city life, but then also a good aspect of outdoors life. And of course, it's the climate's not too, climate's not too tough there for Canada. It's a nice, nice part. Yeah, it's not. It's not much different than home. So you've got to get to Sweden, and and tell me, how did you find out about this challenge? Where did you hear about it? Uh, I work for the company that organises this. Uh, it's an outdoor company, Swedish outdoor company. And uh, I started working with them when I first moved here. And then this competition came about, well, it came about to me uh, about six months ago. And uh, I decided to jump into it and see if I can get a, get a place. Will you pronounce it for me? Uh, it's called the Fjall Raven Polar. Okay, we were wondering about that earlier. So Fjall Raven Polar. Okay, yeah. so it's a bit of Swedish. Okay, so it's... It, 300 kilometre adventure across the Arctic wilderness. Is that right? Yeah, that's the one. Minus 30 at uh, times? Yeah. Uh, so, some of the days now, like, it could it could drop it could drop below 30. Uh, like, so, like, minus 30 degrees is the, the regular air temperature out there. But if you throw wind in on top of that, uh, you could be looking at, like, if you 10, 10, 10 mile an hour wind, on top of minus 30 degrees, it could drop well below minus 55. So, and like, 
we're not going to be staying in huts or yurts or anything. It's just going to be tents and ourselves. And how many people will be involved in this? There's 20, 22 places. OK, but you have to fight for a place on this, don't you? I do, yeah. It's a, it's a worldwide competition. So there's thousands upon thousands of entries uh, in, in this. And there's two ways I, two ways I can get picked. Uh, one is that a jury will handpick me. Or second is that I can win by public vote. OK, so tell us how people can help you with that. Uh, it's very simple. All people have to do is go to Facebook and look me up. My name on Facebook is Tommy Redvans. Uh, so once you go to my profile, there'll be a link in my profile. Click on that link. It takes you to the website and you just hit the vote button. It literally takes two seconds to do it. So people can go online, find you on Facebook and then go on to this. Um, polar, pronounce it again, Fjall Raven, is it? Fjallraven. com, and just click on that. It takes less than two seconds to do it and that way you'll get a lot of votes and hopefully you'll be picked. So when will you know? Uh, well, the competition ends in six days. Uh, okay. So I'll, I'll know pretty soon. Okay, okay. Why do you want to do it? Can I ask you, like, why would you want to go and put yourself through that kind of a challenge? I mean, that's mentally tough. It's physically exhausting. You will have 200 highly skilled sled dogs with you across the wilderness, but that's cold comfort, really, when it's blowing a gale and it's freezing cold. Yeah. <laughs> I know you like the outdoors, but this is a bit extreme, Tommy. Yeah, like, I mean, as I was saying, like, you don't, like, it's not, it's not everyday opportunities that come about. And, you, you know, as you know yourself, we don't get too, too bad a weather back in Ireland. Uh, but we complain a hell of a lot about it even though it's not I know yeah (laughs) I I kind of wanted to just find something that would challenge me uh, as best I could and I just think this is the one that's going to do it Okay. and what do you have to do to stand out to the jury what what would you have to do to have them pick you Uh, I think they just see it's this is sort of competition that's it's not for like you don't have to be highly skilled. You don't have to have much experience in the outdoors. You just want to pick everyday normal people to kind of throw them into a situation like this and show them what it takes to survive in such conditions. Okay, right. Uh, oh, oh, well, Tommy, do you know what? Hardy man, that's all I can say to you. Yeah. <laughs> and fair play to you. Fair play to you. And I hope everybody goes on to Facebook, finds you and votes for you. And I hope you get your place on the team, Tommy. The best of luck. And thanks a million for taking our early morning call in Vancouver. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for Take care. Me. The best of luck, Tommy. Thank you very much. And that's it from another late lunch. My thanks as always to my ever patient producer, Louise. She knows what I mean. To all my guests and to you for listening. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.